This podcast is made possible by the generosity of supporting members. Please visit dharmaocean.org to learn more about becoming a supporting member. You are listening to the Dharma Ocean Podcast. In the second part of this talk on Vajrayana Tantra, Reggie reflects on the somatic journey of becoming transparent to the cosmos through our own body. He says that the Siddha tradition does not involve renunciation of worldly life, but rather awakening unfolds through the experience of everyday life. This talk was given in 2009 at a public program in San Francisco, California. So the human person is kind of fairly extroverted. Even those of us who are introverted are still extroverted in the sense that we're not really that aware of our own body. And what's said in Tibetan Tantra is that there is a interesting kind of um, mutual reflection between the body and the cosmos. The cosmos holds all of the truths that we seek for the fulfillment of our life. And the entire cosmos is actually reflected in our body. So when we enter into our body, we go through our own uh, discovering our own person. And then as we go deeper and deeper and deeper, we discover actually everything there is to know in the cosmos and everything there is to know about human life and about our life. The body is the unknown self in Tibetan Tantra. We have our consciousness, which is our, our immediate sense of who we are, you know, this image we have of who I am and my history and my identity, and that represents probably one-tenth of one percent of our person. Our body holds the other 99.99 percent of our person. The body is the unconscious. The body holds you know, according to Buddhism, the unconscious is where the true self lies. And through going into the body and recovering more and more aspects of ourselves that have been lost, marginalized, repressed, split off, damaged, and traumatized, we begin to become fuller people. It's interesting that um, Buddhism identifies different personality types. We all kind of have our... Um, you could say our strong suit. Some of us are um, very spacious as people, but we can't really relate to anything. Some of us are very sharp and clear, but we don't like anybody. <laughs> Some of us are warm and kind of abundant and proud, but we don't like otherness, like the whole world's got to be me. Some of us are incredibly warm and passionate and loving, but we have no idea who we are. We just totally lose ourselves in relationships. Some of us are are very active and um, constantly running around doing things, extremely efficient. uh, And we kind of look down at everybody else who's sort of lazy and can't really function. And, um, but meantime, we're sort of um, kind of anathema to everybody in our lives. 
And it's interesting in Buddhism that actually we, you know, behind each of these personality types is a domain of enlightenment. And as we practice on the path, we begin to fill out as people. We begin to become more complete. If we tend to be very sort of sharp and critical and intellectual and cold, we begin to develop warmth and tenderness and passion. If we're very sort of uh, tuned out, you know, we're kind of spacious, but we can't really relate to anything, we start developing the ability to connect deeply with other people. If we are uh, very active and efficient, but actually don't include others in our world, we begin to do that. So there really is a sense that, you know, through the tantric journey, um, it's not simply a matter of developing to a, a more heightened uh, level our particular approach to life, but of beginning to develop a much bigger repertoire of what it means to be me. And we begin to be able to move through situations and to engage situations in the way that they need to be engaged. If we need to be efficient, we can do that. If we need to be sharp and clear and intellectual, we can do that. If we need to be abundant and welcoming, we can do that. If we need to be warm and tender and open and um, you know, feel the beauty of another person, we can do that. If we need to be spacious, we can do that. So there really is um, you know, such a, a very powerful sense that the unfolding and the filling out of the human personality is the point of the journey. That's what it's all about. So, uh, and again, to mention, life itself is the arena within which we do that. For Tantra, you know, t the Tantric saints, uh, some people think Tantra began in Tibet, which isn't true, actually. Vajrayana Buddhism, or what we now know as Tibetan Tantra, began in India, and it began probably in the 5th century, and lasted until the end of the 11th century. So that's a long time, it's like 600 years. It, it was a very, very prominent tradition in India. And the people who practiced it were people like us. It's very interesting. They, they weren't institutionalized people, they weren't monastic people. Um, they were householders. They were people who lived ordinary lives in the world and at, from all levels of society, from all the way from uh, you know, rag pickers and latrine cleaners and street sweepers and uh, the people who, who uh, looked after dead bodies in the cremation grounds who were outcasts, you know, like beyond the pale, totally like the lowest of the lowest of the low, all the way up to Brahmins and kings. And uh, these people continued to lead their lives as a form of practice. And this is something that often we, we, we just don't understand it when we look at, um, you know, the, the Asian Buddhist traditions. These people were Vajrayana practitioners. They're called siddhas. And they were men and women. They were equally men and women, which is never heard of in any other school in Buddhism, that men and women equally held the lineages and the power. And there's an author named Miranda Shaw who thinks maybe the women actually were more important as lineage holders and authors and teachers than the men were. I mean, they were kind of equal, but very powerful feminine presence in this whole tradition. And the you know, interesting point is that their teachers would not let them leave their ordinary lives. No, you're not going to the monastery. You're not going to go disappear. You're not going to leave your family, go into the jungle. 
your the highest realization you can achieve as a human needs to happen in the framework of ordinary life in the world with families and children and dirty diapers so to speak and you know occupations and abusive bosses and you know if you're a low caste person you have all these people above you just you know basically um you know throwing all kinds of junk at you all the time that's the situation where you can achieve realization and there are more realized people coming out of that tradition than any other Buddhist tradition in India, which is very interesting. The percentage of people who achieve realization in the Vajrayana as ordinary people in the world is much higher than the monastic people um, who were basically their monasteries all over India. Those people weren't achieving realization. I mean, isn't that interesting? The people who did it were the people like us. So Vajrayana Buddhism began in that kind of framework and uh, you know the the journey of course is arduous and you know um, or at least demanding meaning these people had to establish a practice of meditation in their lives and they had to practice in such a way that they experienced their own freedom right up front and the body was the gate to that freedom and then they had to live their lives out of that freedom out of that sense of inner release and fulfillment and contentment and when they did so their lives became a very powerful catalyst for their own transformation so you know you might wonder you know how can we touch that state of mind well uh, you know I mean if we're going to do this here in this world how do we do it well when we work with the body in uh, the way of Tantra, which is not, you know, it's not, uh, you know, sort of esoteric sexual practices. It's not, you know, kind of strange ways of forcing things, but it's a way of entering the body with sensitivity, openness, and subtlety, and beginning to learn how to read the interiority of the body. When we do that, we begin to find that within the body, there are gates, and there are gates to openness. There are gates to emptiness within the body, and in the way I teach, there are probably about 12 different gates. This weekend we're going to work with some of them. And when we learn how to step through the gate, then we find the ground of our own being in a very simple, straightforward, and ex completely experiential way. Then we can live, coming out of that space. And we can make this journey that has always been there. So, uh, this is the esoteric tradition of Tibetan Tantra. And it's, um, it's one that Chogyam Trungpa taught to his early students. It's one that he exemplified in his life. And it's the, the tradition that I'm teaching and that some other people um, are beginning to teach who were his early students. We as Westerners often have a low self-image. You know, I mean, this is something that's often said, uh, you know, within our culture. And other people, you know, look at us and they see the same thing. We have, we tend to have low self-esteem as a culture. And there are a lot of reasons for it. Cultural reasons, um, societal reasons, family reasons, and so on. One of the liabilities of having low self-esteem is that we actually don't think that uh, human fulfillment and human perfection is within our reach. And one of the things Chogyam Trungpa said to us, which was very interesting, he said, 
in a sense, because of your low self-esteem, you have more openness. Because you don't, you're not arrogant, and you don't think you have all the answers, and you feel that there's something missing, and you have a kind of a real sense of incompletion in your being, therefore you're more open, and you're more ready to receive these teachings. And he, he actually said that he felt that, uh, I mean, this was, a, this was an outspoken person. This was not a person that was spouting the Tibetan party line at all, of course, as I mentioned. But he said that he felt that in Tibet, mostly Buddhism wasn't really happening. The outer forms were there, the rituals, the abhishekas, the mantras, the lamas in their robes, um, the high thrones, the prostrations, you know, the, the forms of deference that everybody showed to the lamas. But he said basically, there, there were a few people practicing the genuine Vajrayana, but they were few and far between. And during his lifetime there, and he was there until he was, I guess, 20, he said he only met a couple. You know, his own, one, two of his own teachers and a few other people. And other than that, um, he said, it's, it's, not, it's not happening, which is interesting. You know, it's interesting. I've been um, going back, you know, if you read books by Chogyam Trungpa, you're not going to find any of this, what I'm telling you. It's not there. And the reason it's not there is because it was edited out, which um, was done by my generation because we thought it wasn't really relevant. Well, obviously, you know, Rimshe is, you know, I mean, obviously um, we have him and we don't really need to be critical of Tibetan tradition. Um, and so it was taken out. And what I've been doing lately is going back and listening to the tapes um, of, or the, they're now on CD, of the teachings that were translated or were edited into his books. And particularly in the first few years, there's a whole assessment of Tibetan culture. And it's very, very fascinating. Someday somebody will pull that stuff out and make it available to everybody. But the, the bottom line of what I'm hearing and what I'm mentioning to you is that we as Westerners can practice the true tradition perhaps in a way that hasn't been done since the siddhas in India. There may be an openness. He felt there was an openness in us and a possibility in us as modern people, not just Westerners, but around the globe, that maybe hasn't existed since the 5th century in India. And at the same time, because of that openness and because we are lay people, we're in a position to do the Vajrayana practice that later, when most of the religious people were monastic, it didn't exist. You know, we often feel, um, sometimes we hear from teachers, you know, China, Korea, where, wherever, you know, um, and these people are just representing their own culture. I mean, there's no problem with it. But we hear that lay people can't do it. Lay people are sort of lower. And so we feel excluded from Buddhist tradition. And it's interesting that the siddhas, you know, these Vajrayana people in India, also were people who were excluded. Women weren't allowed to study. It was said that women couldn't achieve enlightenment. Lower caste people couldn't get into the monasteries, or if they did, they went in as slaves and servants. Um, people who uh, didn't have political power and didn't have any human rights um, felt very, very excluded. And it's interesting that those people had this other tradition offered to them that is much more deep and much more powerful than what was going on, and they had the wherewithal to practice it and achieve realization. 
So it's an interesting kind of similarity between our situation, we're lay people, and also there's some, somewhat of a sense of being excluded from the esoteric tradition, um, very much uh, reflects those days. In some sense, I think the more desperate we are, the more ready we are. The more cornered we feel, the more open we can be to spiritual teaching. And at least in terms of the people I meet, so many of us feel desperate. We feel like we've, we've run out of cards. You know, we look down and we, we don't have any more cards to play. We're empty-handed. We're trapped, we're cornered, and there's nothing we can do. And that's a moment, could be a moment of extreme openness and readiness to engage one's life from a totally different viewpoint. To download more of Reggie's teachings, find out about upcoming retreats, and to explore a variety of audio listening guides to assist you on your spiritual journey, please visit dharmaocean.org. Our music is by Jeff Beale and Nawang Ketchog from the album Tibet Cry of the Snow Lion.